We're going to look at Psalm 1 today, familiar, familiar passage of Scripture, Psalm 1. If I were doing these notes over again, I would put a title there, and it would be, Choose Ye This Day, which some of you will recognize as the King James Version of Joshua 24:15. Choose Ye This Day. Okay, some preliminary things. The gateway to the Psalter. Another way of saying this is an introduction to the book of Psalms. You know, there are really five books of Psalms. And they were collected over a period of years throughout the history of Israel. We know that one Psalm, for example, is credited to Moses. The 90th Psalm. There are a couple that are credited to Solomon. Uh, most of them, many of them, are credited, of course, to David. Now, the five books, the first book goes through 41, the second book goes through 72, the third one goes through 89, and then 106, and then 150. Now, each of these books of Psalms, these separate books, ends with a doxology. Like, for example, the first psalm ends with these words, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And you can check that out at the end of the other books. Now, this is a wisdom psalm. There are different categories of psalms topically. You have praise psalms, you have prayer psalms, you have royal psalms, you have imprecatory psalms, and you have a few of these called wisdom psalms. The biblical wise person is one who lives his life according to God's purpose. One who lives his life according to God's will. That's what it means to be wise in the biblical sense. After all, God created us, didn't he? And so he ought to know how we should live. And he tells us how we should live. And if we do that, then we are wise. Now, this psalm really presents us, I think, uh, with a sort of a summary of the teaching of the Old Testament. You know, there's several passages in the Old Testament, as in the New Testament, that sort of sum up the whole message of the book. You know, like John 3.16 in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, for example, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Or Micah 6, 8. He has told you what is good for you, and that is to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Or Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your strength. But this psalm uh, does a good job, I think. Uh, sort of summarizing what are the basic teachings of the Old Testament. 
Furthermore, it gives us a good transition, transition into the New Testament, particularly when you think about its relationship to the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever noticed how similar the Sermon on the Mount is to the first Psalm? Was Jesus, Jesus using that as his text when he preached the Sermon on the Mount? Was he expanding this Psalm? Perhaps so. Let me give you two instances of the similarity there. One is the first word of the psalm, which is the same as the first word of the Sermon on the Mount. And that is blessed or blessing. Now, oftentimes, people want to translate that, even in translations of the Bible, happy. Ah, too shallow. Too shallow a word to translate the meaning of being blessed. After all, it's kind of got a verbal sense to it. The idea is God blesses those who are obedient to him. Um, God graces those who follow his word. God favors those who keep his commandments and so forth. Another interesting parallel to the Sermon on the Mount is that this psalm is sometimes called the psalm of the two ways. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. The Sermon on the Mount emphasizes that there are two ways. Uh, you will recall how in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go in thereat. But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Perhaps we'll point out other similarities as we go along, but uh, you get the idea. Now, let me read the psalm, and then we'll get into it. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, we begin by saying, if you follow your outline, uh, there is a choice to be made. And the choice is between the world on the one hand, and the Word on the other hand, the Word of God. The world or the Word. You know, Paul warns us in Romans chapter 12, the first verse is there, not to be conformed to this world. And I've always liked the way J.B. Phillips translates that. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Brothers and sisters, the world will squeeze you into its mold. It will do that unless you make a choice. 
unless you decide against it. I mean, you are at the mercy of the world unless you choose the way of the word. I think the, the psalmist is saying that. So, we must, in this choice, reject the way of the world. And the psalm has given us uh, three progressive references to what that means. First, reject the counsel of the wicked. You know, there are a lot of words in the Old Testament for sin, for wickedness, for evil, and so forth. And there are three of them that are used here. But uh, the first thing to do is not to listen to the world. Don't heed the advice of the world. You know, the world is out to tempt you and to control you and to claim you, and you need to resist it. Second, don't walk in the way of sinners. When you walk in the way of sinners, you begin to participate with them. You begin to come involved with them. You go a step further than just listening to the counsel of the world, and you get involved in the patterns of the world. And then the third thing, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Now, that's where you settle in. You become a part of it. It's like you start out, perhaps, being tempted by it, and you believe it. And then you begin to behave like the world. And then eventually you end up being shaped by the world and belonging to the world. So the psalmist says, you must reject the way of the world. That sounds like repentance to me. You say no to the world. That is repentance. Now the other side of the choice is, to embrace the way of the Word. Yes, delight in the Word, the Word of God. And you know, by the way, when you say yes to the Word, that's faith, repentance, and faith. No to the world, yes to the Word. And of course, we have the living Word, Jesus Christ, and we say yes to Him. And that, of course, is an expression of our faith. So, we embrace the word. That Hebrew word there, Torah, you're familiar with that. The law, instruction, teaching, the word of God. Uh, that's what we're talking about here. So, delight in it. Do you enjoy the word? You know, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, and by the way, the 119th Psalm, is the longest psalm in the Psalter, 176 verses. And it is a psalm that has from beginning to end to do with the Word of God. It exalts the Word of God. And in verse 103, the psalmist says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Ah, yes. Delight in the Word. It tastes good. Not only that, well, let me give you another verse there. The psalmist also says in verse 127, 119th Psalm, I love your commands more than gold. 
more than pure gold. I love your commands. Now, not only to delight in it, but to meditate on it. And to meditate on it day and night. Now, you know what meditate means, of course, to think on it. Uh, to ponder it. To brood over it, if you please. And uh, I think the idea goes even further than that. When you think in day and night, you ask, do you mean that I'm supposed to be quoting Scripture to myself day and night? Um, not necessarily. You could do worse things, of course. But uh, what is the idea here? You know that we think and ponder on the Word until it becomes a part of us. I have a grandson who's a scholar in our family. And he said something one day about something entirely different from this, but he got my attention. He said something about something, and I won't talk about that, but I'm getting out of the subject too much. But he said, you're thinking on it even when you're not thinking on it. Huh? You're thinking on it even when you're not thinking on it. Well, I got to thinking about that. It's in the back of your mind all of the time. It's there. It's there. You may not be consciously thinking about it all the time, but it has become a part of you. I put the idea there of digesting it, like taking food into your body, and it becomes a part of you. And studying the Word and meditating on the Word until it becomes a part of you. You know, we talk about uh, getting into the Word, meaning into the study of the Word. There's something better than that. Getting the Word into you. Getting it into you. You know, James says something about that. He calls that receiving the implanted Word. The implanted Word of God. The Word of God planted in you. So there's the choice. It is the choice between the world and the Word. Now... Depending on the choice you make, you have a prospect to anticipate. Uh, it's going to bring about a certain result. If you choose the world, you're going to be what? Like Jeff. If you choose the word, you're going to be like what? You're going to be like a tree. Like a tree. That's the contrast between a tree and a chaff. And so the challenge is to make the right choice of the Word of God and be like a tree. But not just any tree. A tree that is planted by the streams of water. And I put there in parentheses, transplanted. Because that's really the idea here. This is a tree that sprang up in another place. Perhaps a rather barren place. And so the Lord takes that tree and he transplants it by the stream of the waters, by the living water, by the source of life. And that suggests the Holy Spirit, didn't it? Yeah, where the source of life, the spiritual life, is the Holy Spirit. And that's not your native soil. That's his special soil that is nurtured 
by the streams of water. Well, it'll be fruitful in season. And I take that to mean, uh, in a way, appropriate to the context. Fruitful as it is needed to be fruitful. And I hesitate not there to think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 as the fruit we are to bear. Remember? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Some occasions call for a lot of (laughs) self-control. Some occasions call for a lot of patience. Some occasions call for love. And so on and so forth. But to be fruitful in season. To be fruitful when it is appropriate. Full of life. Full of life. The leaf does not wither. You know, Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And this is the kind of life we're talking about here. Life. Life that does not fade, but grows. And then it prospers. Prospers. Whatsoever you do shall prosper. Ah, that doesn't mean materially. It could mean materially, but uh, this is not the prosperity gospel we're talking about here. It is not God wants to make you rich. God wants to make you prosper in relation to his kingdom and the building of his kingdom. You know, when I was thinking about this, Susanna Wesley came to mind. Susanna Wesley, you know, Susanna Wesley, the English mother of John Charles Wesley. Susanna Wesley had 19 children. And I think only about half of them lived past infancy. But she invested her life in those children. Well, she also taught Bible studies. And she herself was a student of the Word. She gave at least one hour every week to every one of those children. I mean, one particular special hour to each one of those children. And she nurtured them. Now, they said when Susanna Wesley wanted to... uh, have some privacy for her devotional life, perhaps, she would take her apron and put it up over her head. (laughs) And she would just sit there and think and meditate on the Word and so forth. The reason I thought about her was, gee, what she did prospered, didn't it? It prospered in the kingdom of God. John Wesley, Charles Wesley, the great leaders of the evangelical revival, of the 17th century and the ramifications of that down through the century, she's still realizing the benefits of the life that she lived. She never was a wealthy woman, but uh, she surely prospered in the ways of the Lord. So we want to be like a tree. You know, I've included in here one of my favorite poems, Trees by Joyce Kilmer. You like that poem? I used to get involved in declamation, saying poems competitively. You know what that is? When I was back 11 or 12 years old. And this is not the poem I won first place on. I did won first place, by the way. But <laughs> this is a poem that I memorized back then. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree. 
A tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breast. A tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray. A tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose bosom snow has lain, who intimately lives with rain. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. I love that poem. Let me tell you something. I was a while back interim pastor at First Baptist Church, Salado. And one Sunday morning, I was doing a children's sermon. And I decided to use this poem. And in the process of using this poem, I was talking about the woman that wrote this poem and the insight that she had, the kind of worldview she had. When I walked out of the church that morning, a man that I respected very much said to me, Dr. Kim, Joyce Kilmer was a man. Well, you know, Joyce, that was my sister's name. I mean, I never knew anybody who was a man named Joyce. But sure enough, Joyce Kilmer was a man. <laughs> hey, if you need to correct your pastor, correct him. It's okay. I appreciate it. I really did. And by the way, Joyce, I learned something from that, by the way. Joyce Kilmer was a, an American poet who lived early in the 20th century. As a matter of fact, he was killed in World War I. And he was about 30 years old, just maybe just a little over 30 years old when he was killed. Well, that gave me more meaning uh, to this poem. But, uh, you know, there's a tree in Central Park in New York named the Joyce Kilmer tree. Now, it's not the tree that uh, he was thinking about in particular. But nevertheless, the point is only God can make a tree like we're talking about here. But if you're not going to become a tree, then you're going to become chaff. And the thing about chaff is that it just gets blown away. You know, the idea here is the threshing floor, where you have a hard surface, and you cut the grain, and you bind it, and you bring it in, and you lay it out there, and then the oxen trample over it, and trample over it, and trample over it, and the good seed comes out, and the chaff it's blown away. It's blown away. When I was a youngster, about 15 or 16, I worked on a thrashing machine. Okay? I mean, I followed a thrashing machine during the summer. And there are two things I remember about that experience. Two things that stand out in my memory. One is the good meals we had <laughs> at noontime. I mean, you know... You have a threshing machine there, and people come from different farms, and they gather together, and you have 25 or 30 men out there running that machine. And when the mealtime comes, I mean, the women have prepared a spread that you wouldn't believe. Fried chicken, roast beef, all kinds of vegetables and desserts and everything you can imagine. I'll never forget that as long as I live. The other thing I remember is, you know, I usually worked at the spout where the grain came out. And you sew the sacks up. And people come in with the grain and so forth. But what I remember most about that was the chaff. 
if it edifies you, that paraphrase of the first psalm by Eugene Peterson. You know, Peterson, you may be familiar with his New Testament, the message. I, I, I like to read how he sees passages of Scripture. This one is eh, not one of my favorites, not one of my favorite paraphrases. It's certainly not a translation. <laughs> and I don't even know it qualifies as a paraphrase or not. But uh, it's kind of a novelty. But anyway, it's interesting. Listen to it now. How well God must like you. Now, that's the way he translates the word blessed. I mean, translates it. No, that's the way he interprets it. How much God must like you. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't sleek along dead-end road. You don't go to Smart Mouth College. <laughs> Things come to mind there, don't they? Instead, you thrill to Yahweh's Word. You chew on Scripture day and night. You're a tree planted in Eden. Hmm, that's a suggestive thing. By the rivers of water. The four rivers of the Garden of Eden. I have some sense in that. Bearing fresh fruit every month. Never dropping a leaf. Always in blossom. You're not at all like the wicked who are mere wind-blown dust without defense in court. Unfit company for innocent people. Yahweh charts the road you take. The road they take is Skid Row. Well, thank you for being here today. Let's pray, okay? Father, we bow before you and give you thanks for your word. And may we listen to it. And may we digest it. And may we live by it. And we pray for our pastor, Andy Davis, today and his continuing work in Haiti. And we pray for the church, this assembly of the righteous that meets here in this place, that you would bless and lead us into your future for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me say one more word. I came across this quote, and I thought it was rather interesting. It's interesting to what we're about in this study here. Dennis Prager, you know who that is? He's a talk show guy and gets interviewed a lot. He's, he's Jewish, but uh, he's written a book on the Old Testament, a new book coming out on the Old Testament. But he made a statement. This, this quote, I think, uh, is somewhat convicting. He says, we, talking about America, we have gone from a Bible-based society to a Bible-ignorant society. So let us try to reverse that, okay? Thank you.